Well, good morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. I'm glad that you've chosen to be with us. I'm excited about being able to continue our series through um, Transformed. Remember, we look at the fact that Easter changes everything. Um, It's not just a one-day event. It's not something that you get together and you have um, lamb and mint jelly. Anybody do that this year, by the way? I'm just curious. It's not very good. Um, So, but it's not just a one-day celebration, but the fact of the, the, the reality is that Easter changes everything. Because Christ rose again and because the tomb was empty, everything else in our lives should change. Everything else in our lives should be changed or transformed. We've looked at the fact that spiritually our lives should be changed. Uh, physically, our lives should be changed. Emotionally, mentally, relationally, all these areas of our lives should be changed. And we have two weeks left that we're going to look at in the ways in which Easter changes everything. This week and next, and then as Charbel said, we're going to celebrate all this together on June 8th. And so we're looking forward as we build to that pinnacle, as we celebrate all the transformation that God has done. Well, this week we're going to be looking at our financial health. And we're going to be looking at the ways in which God's Word speaks to us about making sure that we're healthy financially. You know, it's, it's pretty easy for us to justify we're using the Bible for spiritual health. And maybe we can understand that there's some principles in there for physical health. And we know for sure that relationally and mentally, the Scripture speaks into our lives. But, you know, sometimes we forget that the Bible also speaks to our financial health. Now, before you tune me out, this is not a message about giving or tithing, okay? So just, just relax. We're not talking about that. Today, we're going to be talking about managing our finances and doing it well, or at least better than some of us have already. You see, I think a lot of us live our lives and principles um, in, in the area of finances, not based on what the Bible says, but in something that we learned a long, long time ago. Maybe you still practice it. Um, that's in this little box right here. Maybe there's a, a, a certain thing that you learned in your life that this is how you handle your finances. Everything you know, you learned from playing Monopoly, Right? You know, you, what, what, what's your job? Your job is to go through life, accumulate as much as possible, and drive the other person out of business. That's how you win, right? Whoever has the most money at the end of the game is the winner, right? And, and if you play like we do in our family, you play until everybody is broke. You don't just set a time limit and say, okay, at the end of this time, you play for hours. And usually Amy wins two reasons. One, because she's the banker and she always wins. You can read between the lines on that. And the other is, is because we usually just give up. We're just like, here, just take my money. I don't care. But we live our lives playing like Monopoly. If you've never played Monopoly, you know, you can get a digital version. You can get the, the game boards. We, it's kind of a thing in our family. We collect different game boards. And so it, it's, it's a fun thing for us. But what do you do? You go around and you buy property. The person who saves it all and hoards it all doesn't end up winning because they land on everybody else's property. Once you buy property, then you develop it up. You celebrate when you land on chance and get an inheritance, and you curse when you land on community chest and have to pay tax on that inheritance. You get happy when good things happen, and you get mad when you have to pay utilities. We go through, you know, not even thinking about whether or not it's a good investment. You land on a property. Do I have enough money for it? Yes. Is it Baltic? I'll pass. You land on Broadway, and you're like, do I have enough money for it? Or Boardwalk. You land on Boardwalk, and you're like, do I have enough money for it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, then I'm going to buy it. You know, you try to get into the greens and yellows and just own that whole corner right there. There's different things you do, but all of it is in an effort to get as much money as possible and win the game. 
And I think a lot of us live our lives just like that. A lot of us go through our lives trying to accumulate as much possible so that we can go through and get as much cash as we possibly can. We talk about the Benjamins and we talk about all the money. And sometimes we treat real life money just like it's monopoly money. We don't think about the impact of our decisions. We don't think about the long-term choices that we make. We think, ah, this is just going to last for a short period of time. I'm going to get as much as I can, and whoever has the most at the end wins. But that's not real life. That's not how God instructs us and tells us to handle the money that he's given us. What God tells us in his word is something radically different than what the world would say. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell? Did you know that in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you averaged it out, one out of every six verses has to deal with money. About a half of all the parables that Jesus ever told talked about money or wealth management in some fashion. Jesus had a lot to say about the topic when it came to money. Now, why would he do that? Why would Jesus spend so much time? He says that his purpose in life, his mission, is to seek and save the lost, to come and to offer his life as a ransom for many. But why would he spend so much time talking about money? One, because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows that we would need help and that we would need guidance. He knew that we would need wisdom handling the resources that he would choose to allow us to use. You see, he knew and understood this. If we don't manage our money it will control us. So we have to make wise decisions. And in our health, we have to be transformed in that area. If you have a, a Bible, an electronic device, or whatever you may be choosing, I know in a minute we're going to have it up on the screens, but I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16. And while you're turning there, we're going to be looking at the parable of the shrewd manager. This is one of the most misunderstood stories in all of the New Testament. And it's misunderstood for a lot of different reasons, but we're going to see where Jesus once again surprises his audience by using a, uh, a hero, by using the, the, the protagonist of the story is not necessarily a very good guy. And while we're doing this, we're, we're, we're trying to overcome the, the American dream. The American dream is great, and this is Memorial Day, and we're grateful for those who have given their lives for our freedom. But the American dream really says, go out and accumulate and make yourself wealthy. Build yourself up. And what happens is, is we get caught up in that. But the whole idea behind the series Transformed is in Romans chapter 12, when Paul tells us to renew your mind. Don't get caught up in what the world says. Don't get caught up in what everybody else does. Don't copy the customs and behaviors of the world, but instead renew your mind. And so in Luke chapter 16, we're going to use the Bible as a guidebook for managing our wealth, for managing the finances in our lives. And let's read this. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus told this story to his disciples. He said, there was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and to discuss the situation. 
he asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And the man said, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager said, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? And he asked the next man, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about your worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with each other's, with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I know it's a long passage of Scripture, and I thought about reviewing our physical health and making you stand while we read all this, but I decided against that. So basically what happens is that Jesus is telling the story about a guy who, quite frankly, is lying, and he's cheating, and pretty unethical, if not borderline, illegal. He's taking somebody's bill that owes the, the owner of the company, and he's marking that bill down to gain favor with that person. Why would he do that? Because in his mind, he knows that he's going to get fired, but he's going to need a job here pretty soon. So he goes to the first guy with the olive oil and cuts it 50% and says, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice that when I get fired, I'm going to be able to go back to that guy and he's going to remember that I gave him a 50% discount and he's going to hook me up. Maybe he's going to give me my own olive oil that I can sell or maybe, maybe he'll let me stay with him for a while or maybe he'll even give me a job. And then he goes to the guy with the wheat, and he, and he gives that guy a discount as well. And he says, in his mind, he's thinking, these guys, I'm going to win them over by giving them very good deals. I'm going to win them over by putting money back in their pocket. And in doing so, I'll preserve my own situation. And this is the guy. This is the guy that Jesus chooses to use as the hero of the story, as the example and the model to follow. It doesn't make much sense, does it? It doesn't seem like the type of person that we in the church would look at and say, man, they have it all together. They know what they're doing. But there's some general observations we need to understand going into this story that will help us better put it in its appropriate context. The first thing to note is this, is that Jesus is not praising this man's dishonesty. He's praising his shrewdness. He's not praising his dishonesty. He's praising his shrewdness. Look, Jesus is not endorsing his sin. He does not say that what this guy did was right, but what he says is, is it's a lesson that we can learn from him. We need to understand being shrewd is important, not being dishonest. Shrewd means to be smart, to be wise, to be resourceful. He's saying those are the things we need to learn from this person, not the lying part of it. So he's praising him for his shrewdness. The second thing we can walk away with today as it relates to a general observation is this, is that you can learn anything from anybody if you know the right questions. You can learn from anybody if you know the right questions. You can learn from somebody who has their life all messed up 
if you know what you're looking for when you evaluate. You can ask somebody who's been married a dozen times the keys to a successful marriage if you know the right question to ask. You can learn anything from anybody if you know what questions to ask. Too many times we focus on just saying, you know what, we're going to ask the most spiritual person in the world. But if they aren't an expert on something, you don't necessarily want to get their advice. If I had a tumor on my brain, I would not, the first question I would ask my brain surgeon is that it comes in, I wouldn't ask him and I would say, um, what church do you go to? I wouldn't ask him, um, how much do you give to your church? I wouldn't ask them how many times they go to small group. I wouldn't ask them how their daily quiet time was. The first question I would ask is, have you ever done this surgery before? The second question would be, are you any good at it? You know, those things and their spiritual relationship with God are important. And there's a, more, a bigger eternal value in that. But when I'm thinking about brain surgery, I want the best brain surgeon I can find. Just because he goes to church every Sunday doesn't make him a very good brain surgeon. Not looking for a discounted offer on brain surgery. I want the best. You know, anybody that offers you half-off brain surgery, don't take it. <laughs> so you want to ask the right questions and you can learn from anybody. The third thing is this, is understand who Jesus is telling the story to. Jesus is sharing with the Pharisees as he tells this story. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time, and these guys were a bunch of hypocrites, and he always loved to needle them. He always loved to kind of jab it to them. In fact, he always found a way to make the, the, the anti-hero to be the most important person in the story when he was talking to the Pharisees. For example, the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans were hated. They were the hero of the story. Jesus was answering a question asked to him by one of the Pharisees. The Pharisees loved money. Usually the position of Pharisee came along with wealth, and usually you were able to be a Pharisee because of your wealth. And so in this context, Jesus is telling a story about wealth and money and using someone who's far removed from being a Pharisee as the hero of the story. So he's kind of doing this to kind of dig into them a little bit. And the last general observation I want us to look at today is this. Most people are poor money managers. Most people are poor money managers. Most people have very little in savings. Most people are living paycheck to paycheck. Most people have a lot of debt. Because you know, on average, the, per the, the, the average person in the United States of America spends 101% of their paycheck every year. 101%. Now, I don't know if you guys are math geniuses or not, but that means that we are spending more than we're bringing in on average. That's not very good money management. And I can guarantee that every single person, you can write this down, and I promise you that this is absolutely 100% true, that every single person in this room Standing on this platform speaking to you today has had money issues. You guys will get that in a little bit. But most of us in this room probably have had some sort of issue here and there. Maybe as a young person straight out of school. Let me just tell you this. If you're, Charbel talked about graduation. If you're getting ready to graduate and enter the real world, your, your first paycheck is not as big as you think it is. They never are. 
okay? You make poor decisions as a young person. You rack up debt or you do different things. Most people are poor money managers. And that's the point of today's message. The point is not about tithing. It's not about giving. We will talk about those issues. But today's is really about changing the way we think as we approach money. And it's to see it, to own it, to solve it, and to do it, as we've talked about. And today we're going to look at the example of the shrewd manager as we go back to Luke 16 and pull out a few things. The first set of things I want us to look at is what not to do with money. What not to do with money. The first thing is, is don't waste it. Notice what happens in Luke chapter 16 and verse 2. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? In verse 1, he says, there was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day the report came in that he was wasting his employer's money. Don't waste your money. The only reason this manager got in trouble is because he was wasting the owner's money. He wasn't doing it the right way, the right things. He was wasting the owner's money. So the first thing not to do is to waste it. Now, what's wasting to you may not be wasting to somebody else. And some of that, I understand, is going to be defined by your life and by who you are. For some of you, you may think it's a waste of money to buy a set of golf clubs. For others, you may think it's a waste of money to have 13 different pairs of black heels. Some of you think that the golf clubs are the best investment you could ever make, and the other person may think you can never have enough pairs of black heels. I personally don't have 13 pairs of black heels. But what's wasteful to one may not be wasteful to another, but in general, we probably know what's wasting money and what's not. The second thing about, um, the, second thing about the, the manager that we need to, to, to look at is to, to not love money. Don't love it. Notice what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. He says, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying, if you love money... You cannot love God. This isn't an issue of if you love money, you will have to wrestle with always overcoming and loving God. This isn't an issue of if you love God, you, you, can, you can give a little bit of your affection to money. This isn't you might be able to figure out a good balance in life. What he's saying is, is you cannot, it is impossible to love both God and money. You cannot serve two different masters. Now, there's not anything inherently wrong with money. Money in and of itself is not good or bad. But the love of money turns into the root of all evil. And Jesus is saying that you cannot love bo both. Don't love it. You see, money shows what I love most. Money shows what I love most. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, it says, wherever your treasure is, wherever you put your money, there is where your heart will be. Basically, your checkbook is a reflection of your affection. Your checkbook is a reflection of what you think about different things and what you place value on and, and how you choose to spend your money is a reflection of your heart. The next thing that we're not supposed to do with money is we aren't supposed to trust it. Don't trust it. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 3, in Luke chapter 16 and verse 3, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. 
I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Money shows over time what I trust the most. Money shows what I trust the most. The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, perhaps one of the richest men who ever lived, said this in Proverbs eleven twenty eight: Trust in your money and you will go down. Trust in your money and you're going to fall on your face. You see, the manager put all of his trust and everything he had into his money, into the wasting of the money, into to spending it. And then he comes to the realization, uh-oh, what am I going to do now? I'm not going to have any money. How am I going to survive? What am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? Don't put your trust in money. Eventually, your money will be gone. It will all disappear. Just like a game of Monopoly. At the end of the game, nobody has money except for one person. It's all gone. It all disappears. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. He who dies with the most toys still dies. It all disappears in one form or fashion. I would venture to say that over the course of the last five or six years, that most people in this room have lost value in their home. I'd venture to say that most people have probably lost value in their retirement. Some people in this room have probably even lost a job. What is your trust in? Because if it's in money, it's going to be gone. It's going to disappear. As quickly as it comes, just as quickly it can disappear. Money won't satisfy. Not only will it be gone, but it'll never satisfy. Let me ask you this question. How much money is enough? The world would say, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. If you're at the bottom of median income, you would say, man, if I could just get to the top part of that bracket. If you're at the top bracket of median income, you would say, man, if I could just be in that 1%. If you're in that 1%, you would say, man, if I could just, I don't know what you say because I'm not there. So, yeah, I'm not really sure how that goes. But you're always looking for just a little bit more. The same writer who said, trust in your money and you'll go down, wrote this in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 5 and verse 10. He said, he who loves money will not be satisfied. No matter how much you have, it'll never be enough. And remember this about your value. Your net worth doesn't matter in your value to God. He values you much more than your balance sheet could ever show So understand this, that money won't satisfy. There's three truths I want us to remember this morning before we get into what we're supposed to do with our money. The first thing about money that we learn from this story of the shrewd manager is this, in in Luke chapter 16 and verse 1, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. It's all his. None of it is mine. None of it is yours. It's all his. You see, the story was about the shrewd manager in verse 1. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. You see, God is the rich man who owned it all, and he has a manager in place to handle his resources. That's you and I. We are those managers. We are the ones that have been given so much by God that we're given the responsibility of being able to handle it. It's all his. None of it is yours. None of it is mine. You say, well, I've worked hard. I'm the one that's broken my back. I'm the one that's sweated over this. I'm the one that's put in 40 years. I'm the one that just finished my degree. I'm the one that's going to do all this. You're wrong. It's all his. 
Anything we have is because he's chosen to give it to us. And we are to be managers of that. It's not mine. It all belongs to him. And when I understand that it all belongs to him, we get to the second point. One day, I'll give an account to God. One day, I will give an account to God for what he's given me. One day, just like in this story in Luke chapter 16, the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report ready. One day I will give an account for all that God has given me. He's going to say, Brent, what'd you do? Look, I gave you this. I gave you more than you ever thought you would ever make in ministry. What did you do with it? What do you have to show for you? He's not going to say, look, what kind of boat do you have? He's not going to say, because I don't have a boat. He's not going to say, yet. He's not going to say, um... (laughs) He's not going to say, you know, what did you, you, know, what did you buy and, and, and how big was your house and all these different things. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you manage it? You see, money shows if God can trust me. I'm not supposed to trust in money, but money is used by God to see that if he can indeed trust me. Just like the manager who went away. Or just like the owner who went away and put the manager in charge of everything. He came back to see whether or not he could trust that manager. Verses 11 and 12 says this, If you're untrustworthy, who will trust you with the true riches? And if you're not faithful, why should you be trusted with things of your own? God's using this story to show that we need to be able to be trusted by God. The third reminder today is this, If I'm faithful with a little then God can trust me with more. If I'm faithful with a little, God can trust me with more. As he explains the story in verse 10, he makes that very clear. You see, in the context of what God has given us, if we're faithful, if we're good managers, if we're good stewards in the little things, then God can trust us with more. Think about your kids. Or at least in my, in my world and in, in where we are, the things that you, that, that you, let, you trust your kids to do. Um, but when we empty the dishwasher, and, and our kids at this age love to do that. I've, I've told Amy multiple times I want to videotape that because when they're 13, I know they're not going to want anything to do with the dishwasher. But we don't give them the fine china. We don't give them the crystal. We don't give them something that they're going to drop and break. We don't give them the, 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 you know, the butcher knife. We don't give them things that aren't wise. We give them the plastic cup that if it drops, it drops. It's not the end of the world. But as we learn and watch and see that they can handle that, We then give them something else. We give them something that's maybe bigger, something that's heavier. And then as they've proven that they can do that, we begin to ask them to go do different things. You know, I remember as a kid that that you got asked to do different responsibilities as you proved your worth. As a kid, we always had a remote control in our house. It was usually, hey, Brent, go change the channel. But that was a responsibility that I was given. And as they grow and become responsible and do different things, you give them more and more and more responsibilities. The things you ask them to do when they're three are different than the things that you ask them to do when they're 17. Hopefully. I don't know, maybe you guys are parents of teenagers going, huh, that guy's in for a rude awakening. But understand, when we're faithful with the little things, God will trust us with more. 
So what are we supposed to do with money? We understand what we're not supposed to do based on what the manager did. We, now we understand what, we're, um, what, what God does in the bigger context of owning everything. What are we supposed to do? Remember this whole story. Jesus says, look at the shrewd manager. We can learn from that guy. What did this guy do right? The first thing is this, is we need to view money as a tool. Look at money as a tool. Don't look at it as something to own. Don't look at it as something um, other than a vehicle to accomplish something else. It's not the end all. It's a tool. Luke chapter 16 and verse 9. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources. It is a tool. And the tool is to be used for God's purposes, not our own. You see, the manager's job was not to make sure that his own position and his place was taken care of, but he was to look after the interests of the owner. He was supposed to use the money that he was given to make sure that the owner's interests were looking after. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to view money as a tool. The second thing that we're supposed to do, Luke chapter 16 and verse 3. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Immediately, when he knew that the time was coming, he started to look ahead. One of the things we need to learn to do in our money management, money management is to look ahead. Too often, looking ahead is, how am I going to make it to the next paycheck? How am I going to take it, make it between now and the 31st of this month? How can I make that happen? We need to look long term. You see, this manager knew that his meeting was coming, and he knew that that meeting was going to produce a certain result. And his question was, what am I going to do after that? I know I'm going to lose my job. I know I'm going to lose my family. I know I'm going to lose all these different things. I need to look beyond the immediate and look at the long term. Too many times, because of marketing, because of anything, we look at the now. Think about McDonald's. You deserve a break in 40 years after a good long career. The jingle doesn't work. What does McDonald's say? You deserve a break today. Right? Anybody get impatient in drive through lines? Why? Because we want it now. I want it now. I don't want to wait. And we do the same thing with our money and with our resources. We look at the immediate. We look at now. The manager was shrewd, and he looked to the future. We need to look ahead the third thing that we need to do with money is this. Make a plan. Make a plan. And in one word, I would summarize this by saying budget. Make a plan. You see, look what he did. He immediately made a plan. He thought to himself, how am I going to make this happen? I'm going to use resources so that I have a place to live, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go talk to this guy, and I'm going to knock that price off, and I'm going to go talk to this guy, and I'm going to knock this price off, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. He made a plan to secure his future. He wanted to make sure that what he was doing was going to be able to protect him as he looked long term. And so here is this shrewd manager that we can learn from. He made a plan. We need to learn to put together a budget that we can live by. We need to be able to put together um, margin in that budget that allows us to build savings, that allows us to be able to have an emergency fund, that allows us to be able to do different things. We need to be able to put a plan together just like the shrewd manager did. And the final thing, and this is the most important step, the final thing we need to do with money is do it. Do it. The road of good intentions leads to nowhere. 
You can sit down on paper and say, I've got a budget together, and this is what we're going to do, and we're going to present it. And you can show somebody and say, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. And that person can sign off on it and say, man, you're going to do a great job. And then you just go out and do whatever you want to do. Because what you put on paper means nothing compared to the actions that you actually execute and carry out. You see, ultimately, the manager could have come up with this great plan, and he was going to do all these different things, and then done nothing. And when he got fired, he would have thought to himself, man, I probably should have followed through on that. So do something. You may not be able to radically turn things upside down. You may not be able to say, you know what, I'm immediately just going to cut a single check and get rid of all my debt. And you may say, well, my house is upside down. You may say, I'm out of work right now. But here's what you can do. You can do baby steps. You can do little things along the way to be able to do that. Now, I don't know, and I, I'm not, I don't want to step on any toes because there's, no there's no toes to be stepped on other than my own as I talk about this. But you think about, you know, you spend $3 a day at Starbucks. It's almost $100 a month. What could you do with an extra $100 a month into savings? At the end of a year, you'd have $1,200 in savings. That's pretty nice, right? Just by cutting out bad coffee, I mean good coffee. There's different things that you can do to get there to be baby steps. It doesn't have to be this radical thing right off the bat because usually you're going to say, give, you're, you're just going to give up because it's not, you're not going to see the immediate impact. But doing little things along the way. But if you do nothing, then nothing will change. You've got to do something, just like the shrewd manager. Ultimately, bigger than all of this, there's one main thing I want you to walk away with today is this. As we've looked at the reality that money is a tool, the best use of money is to get people into heaven. The best use of money is to get people into heaven. Now, I want you to hear me. I am not espousing a theology or practice that says you can buy the souls of people into a place of rest. I'm not espousing that you can give money and, and somehow buy your way into heaven. Because the reality is there's only one price required for entrance into heaven. And that is death. And that price was paid by someone that you and I could never ever do. And that person was Jesus Christ. And because of the debt he paid, you and I can have a relationship. You and I can get into heaven. But we can use our money as a tool to help others hear that same message. To help others understand the love and the forgiveness of Christ. You see, Notice what, what, what Jesus says as he explains the story. He says, here's the lesson in verse 9 of chapter 16. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, when your life comes to an end, they will welcome you into an eternal home. Using what you have to help others get to eternity. That's the best use of money. You see, this shrewd manager, we're not to learn about the dishonesty where he cut the bills and sold the, the owner short, but we're to learn about the shrewdness where he used his brain, he put a plan together, he executed the plan, he carried it out. Why? So that he would be taken care of long after the day he was fired. Making sure that the owner's interests weren't necessarily what he was pursuing from a, from a riches perspective, but to make sure that he bought his friends with discounts. That he used the resources he had to make sure that he had a relationship with people. We need to use the resources we have to build a relationship with people. To help them get to the place where they know Christ. To help them get to the place where their eternity is secure 
in Christ. There's a lot of different ways you can do that, a lot of different things you can do. But one of the things that you can do is to make sure that every time you do something, you're asking the question, does this help someone? Does this help the process of getting people closer to Christ? As we close out our time this morning, I want you to think about the reality of this. What, I want you to think about the, the most benevolent person you know, the person who gives, gives away, whether it's time, whether it's just stuff, whether it's money, whatever it may be, the most giving person you know, the most generous person you could ever think of. And let's say they took you out to lunch. They took you out to lunch um, on Tuesday and they sat down with you across the table and they said, look, I want, I, want you, I want you to think about something. I'm going to give you a checkbook. It has my name in the upper left-hand corner, but I just want you to know you will never run out of money in that checkbook. You can do whatever you want. Blank check. Not just a blank check, but blank checkbook. You can spend as, as much money as you want. You can, you can write as many checks as you need. You can do whatever you want to do. But just know this. There's going to be two things that happen. One is... Whenever you write a check, I want you to ask, what would I do? And the second thing I want you to do is meet with me once a month to talk about what you spent the money on. Now, if someone came to you and gave you a blank checkbook and said, you can do whatever you want with this, I know what my thoughts would initially be, and I know what I would do, and I know how I would choose to spend the money, and I know what I would write those checks on. But then if at the end of it they said, but I want you to ask the question, what would I do? Then, then, then I'd have to step back and say, okay, would this person do the same things I would do? What would they do? How would they respond? How would they react? And then when they come to me and say, and I want to meet with you once a month just to look and see how you spent the money. Now it's going to cause me to really pause and say, wow, okay, so I'm probably not going to do a lot of this money on myself. I'm going to spend it on others. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be benevolent. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure why would we look at someone who's directly across the table from us on a Tuesday and think through those questions if we aren't willing to think through those questions because it's God? Because he does the same thing. He's given us more than we could ever ask or imagine. And he says, just use it the way I would use it. And understand one day, you're going to have to answer why you did what you did. The world doesn't think like that. That's why, we know, that's why we don't need to copy the customs and the behaviors of the world, but instead, we need to renew our mind. We need to be transformed because of the gospel, because of the empty tomb. We need to be able to say, God, this is how I handle my finances. Would you pray with me this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. This morning, you may be here today and you heard that story of the gospel for the very first time. The fact that, that you owed a debt that you could not pay and that, that debt was sin. The, the, the payment due is, is death. But Jesus loved us while we were still in that position that he was willing to die in my place. If you're here today and you want to know what it means to, to have faith in Christ and you want to know what it means to have that kind of freedom and that kind of relationship, I invite you just to ask Jesus into your life this morning. Just acknowledge to him that you need him for salvation, that you need him for eternity, and ask him to come into your life. Ask him to help you. For others, maybe you're here today and you've made that decision before. Maybe today is a day when you just ask God to help you 
with this whole topic of finances. Help you to have an eternal perspective to help others to get into heaven. Help you to, to, to think through a plan and to actually execute it and carry it out. To give you wisdom so that we don't do things like the world does, but we do things the way that God would want us to do. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that in these moments you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would indeed just, um, just help us to be shrewd, not dishonest, Lord, not um, unfaithful, God. Help us to just be wise with all that you've given us. God, give us an attitude of, of thankfulness and thanksgiving and gratitude. And Lord, I pray that as we do that and as we live that out, God, that you would be honored as we see more and more people enter the kingdom because we're thinking like you would have us to think. God, help us today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.